Welcome to Friendly Words, a sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, December 5th, 2021. It focuses on Jesus' straightforward honesty. The message to all who will listen is you can trust Jesus to speak the truth in all circumstances and know that he wants God's best for you. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are with us and you desire more than we do for your word to accomplish its purposes in us. God, we admit that sometimes we want to follow our flesh instead of your spirit. And so today at this moment, we want to submit once again to you and we want to hear your word and help us as we go from this place to submit, not out of fear, but out of joyful love for you because of the good you've done in us. God, thanks for your salvation that you've brought about through Christ and for freedom from sin, from both the guilt and the power of sin. And I pray, God, that your word now would do what you want in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in a society where a bottle of nitol has to have these words of caution on it, may cause drowsiness <laughs> and a carton of eggs must say this product may contain eggs why in the world have we not developed warning labels for people i mean requiring an individual to wear a shirt which says may bite before caffeine would be very useful of greater value to me than a small black and white sticker on a washing machine which reads warning High spin speeds do not put a person in washer. <laughs> so, I'm not asking you for you to answer out loud, but you think about this. What words of caution would be on your shirt if it was mandated by law to have a warning label on you? Caution. Mouth has no brakes. Danger. Change makes me cranky. Warning. I may be awkward in conversation. Notice, may spontaneously burst out in song. Most of my kids need that warning on them. Be advised, I will eat all your food. All of these fit someone, you know, right? And you probably would have to have a little bit different wording, but what if you had a, had a shirt on that warned people about your idiosyncrasies? Well, if I was made to wear an accurate cautionary t-shirt, mine might need one of the following warnings depending on the day or the moment in the day. Caution, changes subject randomly. Sorry about that. Danger, offers high fives often. Warning, talks to strangers in the line at the grocery store. Notice, thinks his jokes are funny. <laughs> Be advised, hold strong opinions about some things. There are dozens more shirts that I might need in my wardrobe if it was required by law to wear a shirt that gave that warning, but I'm not going to continue on that. I need to have a little bit of self-respect at the end of the day. <laughs> but what if Jesus had to put on an advisory tunic? I don't suppose they had t-shirts in that day. How would the warning labels on his clothing read? Caution, truly holier than thou. Danger, possesses actual authority. Warning, 
Fearless in all circumstances. Notice, generous with God's word. Be advised, wise, good, compassionate, and forgiving. Those are things we've seen as we've gone through the book of Mark. We've talked about Jesus' character. With nary a t-shirt in sight, we've seen the truth. Jesus is holy and forgiving. He's good and authoritative, fearless and compassionate, generous and wise. I love the little asides that Mark has placed throughout his book so far. Phrases which tell us that people noticed Jesus and were wowed by him. So listen to some of these. I'll start with Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Hear what people said after he set a demon-possessed man free. It says in verse 27, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And then there's this, Jesus had just forgiven a crippled man's sin and miraculously renewed his useless legs so that he could walk. The people react in Mark chapter 2, verse 12. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The disciples are just as dumbstruck as everybody else. In Mark chapter 4, verse 41, we see them soaked to the bone, overwhelmed by the storm they've just been through and astonished by Jesus' power over it. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Amazement abounds when Jesus is on the move. Folks stand slack-jawed, Jesus exercising authority over the powers of darkness, shortcutting the healing process with the word and breaking the laws of time and space to shush a wild storm, stuns all. No one knows what to do with them. There are no words for someone like that. At the end of Mark chapter 7, the chapter that we're going to cover today, in part, there's another incident which leads people wide-eyed with wonder. But prior to this incident, Jesus amazed me this week with another character trait, and I'm going to talk to you about that after we take in all of chapter 7. This morning, I've asked Susan, a different Susan than last week, to come and read Mark chapter 7 for us. As you listen to her read, note the things which grab your attention, God may be speaking to you, and you don't want to miss his personal word to you. It may not be the same thing that I have to say. So ponder everything which stands out. Think on it. Go back this afternoon. Let God's word change your heart. Let his spirit do his work through his word. So with all eyes on Jesus and ears tuned to the spirit's voice, we're going to hear God's word now. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 37. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to their tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, 
but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephphatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak.
pretty crazy stuff in this chapter. Uh, we're not going to cover the whole stuff at the end. We kind of talked about the Syrio-Phoenician woman and Jesus talking about not giving the bread to the dogs. We talked about that when we were going through Matthew. So we're not going to cover that. And I really wanted to do the deaf person, but I got too much stuff at the beginning. So we're going to start at the beginning. If the Bible in front of you highlights Jesus' words by printing them in red, you can see at a glance how much our Master says in the 37 verses which comprise Mark chapter 7. This is the heaviest concentration of Jesus' words up to this point other than Parable Rich chapter 4. Most chapters that we've considered so far include a sentence or two here and there, Jesus interacting with people. He says things succinctly. In this passage before us today, though, he speaks more freely as he responds to challenges from his detractors. So let's consider Jesus' words to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who question him about the behavior of his rude, crude, and socially unacceptable disciples. Their accusatory words are found in verse 5. Here's what they ask. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled or, as the other translation said, unclean hands? Now, at first blush, this seems like a really dumb question. Who besides your mom when you were a kid cares two hoots about whether you wash your grubby hands before you eat? It's a non-issue for most of us. Do you want all that nasty stuff that's on your hands to enter your body? With your food, go ahead, eat without cleansing. But of course, these guys aren't concerned about proper personal hygiene at all. This is, for them, a matter of legalistic holiness aimed at keeping God happy so that Israel won't suffer God's wrath once again, and they won't end up in exile far from home like they did when their forefathers messed everything up. My understanding, and I hope I'm getting this right, is that the rules that they're referring to are more about washing off the moral filth of the sinful people who they might have touched in the marketplace. Kind of like spraying for cooties on the playground when you're a kid. Girls, yuck. <laughs> Sorry, girls. <laughs> I'm sure you said boys, yuck, too. Here's the thing that we need to know. This ground rule was not given by God. If you scour the Old Testament writings, you're not going to find anything about washing before you eat. Nothing. The word washing comes up multiple times. It comes up concerning cleansing of the heart. It comes up with cleansing the body for ritual purposes, but not once concerning a pre-meal expunging of sinner gunk that you've gotten on you because you were in the wrong place at the right time. Knowing this helps us to understand Jesus' strong reaction to the complaint that's before him. Let's reread his first words. We'll start with verses 6 through 8. He replied, that is, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You, he's talking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You can't get much more straightforward than Jesus. Jesus pulls no punches. He states clearly that these men's hearts are far from God's commands. 
They have rejected God's commands and their worship is worthless. Their rules are worthless. They've made up these rules which are not divinely inspired nor divinely approved. At the moment I was writing this, I'm serious, on Thursday morning as I was writing this, my friend Dennis McDowell, who's pastor at Fowler Friends Church, posted this quote from Francis Chan. My fear is that perhaps without even realizing it, we've fallen into the very dangerous habit of neglecting God's commands in favor of our own logic. Chan's words and Jesus' words remind me to be cautious when speaking of the shortcomings of the Pharisees and teachers of the law because I may condemn myself in the process. Sometimes I get things wrong too. Jesus does not have the problem that I have. He doesn't have the problem that you have. He can boldly confront the hypocrisy that he sees because there is no falsehood in him, not an ounce of flakiness. He knows the truth and he speaks the truth with authority. He speaks straightforwardly, honestly, bluntly, some might say. Why does Jesus call these guys out? In part because he wants the crowds to know that God isn't behind the burdensome rules that the fancy folks have piled on the commoners' backs. But I don't think this is the only reason he speaks so plainly. I think he loves his enemies. He commanded everybody else to love his enemies, so I think he's going to follow that command. He loves his enemies, and he wants these Pharisees and teachers of the law to see the errors of their way and repent, turn away from them. Now, I don't remember when I first noticed this. It was years ago. But when you look at the interactions that Jesus has with the religious bigwigs of his day, no matter which gospel you're in, most of the words confront with the purpose of rescuing them from their sinfulness, the sinfulness that they deny. The parables that Jesus speaks against them invite them to see the truth and to turn to God. The things that he says in rebuke of them, it's all about repentance and bringing them back to him so that they might follow God instead of their own rules. The fact that the men he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with over and over don't alter their attitudes doesn't negate Jesus' lovingly firm efforts to affect change in their hearts. I'm reminded of a word Paul gave to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle to the Gentiles speaks to those whom God has given gifts in the church to equip the church for ministry. He speaks of apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers who lead the church toward maturity. And then he says a few important things that I'd like us to hear together. So the verses that I'm reading are verses 14 and 15 of Ephesians 4. Hear what God inspired Paul to write. After he's talked about those who equip the church, he says... We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love should always be our goal. It should be our aim when we address friend and when we address foe. Jesus models this for us in his conversations with his disciples, in his confrontations with the ones who we're talking about right now. He does not hate those who hate him. He loves them and with straightforward words seeks to bring them to freedom in him. 
Can we reread the rest of what he says to the Pharisees and teachers of the law? Look again at verses 9 through 13. Hear what Jesus says to those who have jumped all of him because his disciples were errant in their behavior. Verse 9, and Jesus continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Jesus is pointing out how far from God's ways these guys have strayed. Why is he being so gut-wrenchingly honest with them? I believe it's because he wants them to see the truth and turn away from their God and parent dishonoring ways. To be straightforward, man's traditions in Jesus' day and in our own do not take precedence over God's law, over God's plans, over God's thoughts. He is the sovereign one. He is the almighty one. He is the one who's in charge and we would do well to submit to him and to allow his spirit to do his work in and through us. I'm going to say a few things that may trouble some of you. God does not care what you wear to church on Sunday at all. He cares more about what you think and say about the people with whom you worship than he does about the coats and ties and frilly dresses. God does not care if kids run in the sanctuary. I've heard more than one grumpy saint chew kids out for this. God cares about those kids and how they are treated, and he wants them to feel loved and secure and to be shown the way to him by faith in Jesus. Be careful with your words and your actions. Make sure that what you teach is God's word. Make sure what you do is godly. Analyze every word and every action. Hold only to those things which God has given straight up. This is what God wants. Before we go, let me talk about what Jesus says to the crowd after addressing his enemies. He wants the people who have overheard this rebuke to know God's truth rather than the distorted truth that's presented to them. So here again are verses 14 to 23. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus' message to the religious and irreligious is the same. The heart, what is deep inside you, is what matters. What comes from within, it isn't goodness, it isn't love, it's sin wickedness. 
What comes out of the depths of the human heart when it is left to its own devices is sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and malice and deceit and lewdness and envy and slander, arrogance and folly. That's what Jesus said. That's what comes out of us. Paul echoes Jesus' words in Galatians chapter 5. He too says that all that comes out of the inner being is wickedness. But he goes on to tell what can come out of those whose faith is in Jesus. So listen to Galatians 5, 19 to 26. The acts of the flesh, that is the sinful nature, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let me be straightforward with you. You cannot live a good life without help. You cannot live a good life without God's help. In your own power, you will produce only and always sin. Your flesh will win out time after time after time. Yes, you can be nice, and you can hold back some of the things that you want to say, and you might be kind from time to time, but without God's help, you will always fall back into sin. You and I need the Spirit to set us free from our fallen nature, from what Paul calls the flesh in verse 19. When we turn our lives over to Jesus, putting our faith in him, God's grace to us through the Spirit produces in us what we cannot produce in ourselves. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the evidence that God lives in us. These things show up in our lives not because we worked up enough willpower to act better, but because we submit our stubborn, sinful will to God. And he moves in and begins living his life through us. Let me be completely clear. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. Righteousness comes through faith in Christ alone. Good living comes through faith in Christ alone. The Spirit in you is giving you the power to say no to sin in this moment and in every moment. Stay in step with him and you won't give in to the sinful nature. Our holy, compassionate, good, fearless, generous, wise Savior is straightforward in and of himself, in all his dealing with you and with me and with every person we meet, he speaks truth to us so that we can turn from our wicked ways and live for him. He corrects us and he helps us to live that corrected life. I want you to consider how good our God is, how good your God is as we close today. I want you to thank him for saving you from sin if you put your faith in him. I want you to... Thank him for setting you free from the acts of your flesh and giving you his spirit to lead you and to create in you the goodness that you cannot live out without his help. Would you do that? Let's just take a few moments in silence and respond to God.
God, sometimes we forget that it's all about you, that you're the one that set us free from sin, that you're the one that helps us to live by the Spirit, and that all the good that we do has nothing to do with our willpower, but with your power in us. God, help us to be humble and to thank you for your goodness and to invite others into your presence so that they might be set free from their sin. Not so that we can claim their scalp in some weird way, but so that they can be free in you. God, thank you for setting us free from the guilt of sin through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross and for setting us free from the power of sin by the resurrected life of Christ in us. God, you're so good. And your love is so great. Your love was great enough to send Jesus in the world so that we didn't have to remain condemned. I pray, Father, that those who here today would resubmit or submit themselves to your rule. That their faith would be in Jesus and in Jesus Christ alone. For salvation and for the power to live for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go, let me read once more the final verses of Galatians chapter 5. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. May you and I and all others who follow Christ walk in step with the Spirit and enjoy his life in us this week. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.